yeah, we're in, we got today and we got one more Sunday of our Greater Than series. And this whole series has really been about putting ourselves on the simple side of this simple equation. Oftentimes, we try to put ourselves on the wrong side of this equation, don't we? I mean, we're, we're honest. God is not greater than us. Maybe we're equal to Him. Maybe we think like Him. Maybe, you know, and then when times get hard, the less than really kicks in. And so we've been talking over the past few weeks about how God is greater than our circumstances. How God is greater simply than we are. How God is greater than our pain. How God is greater than our time. How God is even greater last week than our finances. And we looked at doing finances God's way. Today we're talking about your worries. Did anyone not write down anything? You're worried about nothing? One, two. Talk to me afterwards. <laughs> So this series has been not just about saying God is greater, because it's really easy to say things, right? Especially, yeah, God is greater than I am, yeah, I get it. But it's really hard for us to live out God is greater. So that's what this series has been about. Not just saying God is greater, but living God is greater. So you all turned in your worries here. We're going to be pulling up those in a second. So I don't want you to forget what you wrote down, all right? Don't forget it. Did you know that power doesn't even stop you from worrying? Wealth doesn't even stop you from worrying. There's a dictator, you may have heard of him, Joseph Stalin, over in Russia. Did you know this guy had all the power, had all the wealth, had all the resources, had all the armies at his control, and this guy, Joseph Stalin, was even afraid to sleep, petrified that someone was going to knock him off. While he was sleeping. So he had seven bedrooms. Each could be sealed as tight as a safe. And no one knew which bedroom he was going to choose that night at random. Just in case something was going to happen. He also had five different limousine drivers. And five different limousines. All with curtains that you could pull and be drawn. And they would leave from the same place at the same time. Going different places. No one would actually know which one Stalin was in. He even had a guy employed in his care just to monitor his tea bags. Now that's worry right there. That's a lot of worry. Did you know that in a 2015, the University College of London did a study just last year, and it shows that older people are 35% less likely to pass away if they are happy and content. It's pretty interesting, right? If you're happy and content you're less likely, 35% less likely, to die. The inverse of that is also true. Significantly higher. If you spend your time concerned, worried, anxious, frustrated, upset, your time is ticking. And we often think that worrying is a natural byproduct, right? It just comes naturally from living this life. Because if we, uh, if we have money, then we have to worry about bills, right? We have to worry about how things are going to get paid for. If we have time, then we start worrying about how much time we have. What do we do with that time? Worrying about the tests or something that are coming up that, are, that you can't stop time. It's just, it's going to come in. Oh, what worries? Oh, what worries? If you have a job, you sometimes even worry if you're going to be employed, right? Maybe you're in one of those situations you've been in before where you just go in and you're, you don't even know if you're going to walk out that day with a job. Even if you have a car, 
might be a small little piece in the back of your brain. No matter how much warranty covers, you're like, wow, I'm worried my car doesn't break down. I'm worried my house, my apartment, my condo, my townhome, whatever, I'm worried that place will either not be paid for, or maybe you'll get robbed. And so we put in security systems, and we arm ourselves, and we have all this kind of stuff, because some of that comes out of worry, right? If we're honest. Even your dreams, the good dreams, your aspirations, your hopes, can be affected by worry. It's called doubt. Worrying that even the dreams you hope you could achieve or accomplish may not come to pass. So we're going to be looking at two big scriptures on worry today, and we're going to be looking at four different points that hopefully we can, we can take home with us to, to understand how, not why, but how God is greater than our worries. So if you have your Bibles, turn along with me or turn them on if you've got one of those smartphone Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, they're right over there underneath our, our prayer board. And if you don't have one at all, um, please take one of those home with you today. That's one of the least things we can do is give you the word of Jesus Christ. So, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And we've read this passage before here. It's been a few months. We've read this passage before. And if you've been in church a little while, you may have even heard this before. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And Jesus says in these red letters, if you have them, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And this recent study says uh, zero. That doesn't work that way. Verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, great king of Israel, and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. The people of the world worry about that stuff. And your heavenly Father knows that you need him. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We're going to dive right into this first point we have this morning about worrying. And it sneaks up at us. And we can breeze right over it if we're not paying attention. And it's right there in this first verse of this passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. If you're following along, let's read it together. Therefore I tell you, what? Do not worry. Let's say that again together. Do not worry. Now notice the language here. Do not worry. We learn in our first point here that worrying is a choice. Worrying is a choice that you make. That actually is. Jesus didn't say, you know, avoid 
worrying. He doesn't say, try not to worry, or occasionally worry, but not about the big stuff. Jesus says here, do not worry, as if there is a choice. And you know what? There is. And if we break this down in a few different sections, because really all of this, from this first sentence we read, skips all the way down to the last. It's almost like Jesus has this run-on sentence, and he's trying to get as much wisdom out at one time as he can say. But if we split this up, therefore I tell you, do not worry, and let's fast forward down to verse 33, but seek first his kingdom. Do not worry, but seek his kingdom. So we have to first understand that worrying is a choice. You choose what to worry about. You choose how you worry and how that worrying affects you. Remember that thing you wrote down? Whatever that was? I want you to think about that really quick. What is that thing that you wrote down? Can anyone admit that that's worrying about that thing is actually a choice you make? Yeah? Getting some nods? It's okay. This first step leads right into our second step this morning. So first of all, worrying is a choice. And some of this may be a lot to get your brains around this morning. That's okay. Leave and discuss. Or stay and discuss. That's fine too. Worrying is a choice. Do not worry, but what? But seek. And this leads us to our second point. Worrying about stuff is the opposite of seeking God. Now this one... Took me a while to figure out. Took me a while to actually put down in like a one-sentence thing, what, what is this that I'm wrestling with in my brain? Because oftentimes we don't really think about an opposite to things. It's just That's the way things are. We don't really think about, well, what is the opposite of seeking God? Well, I don't know. I don't really think about it. And in my perspective, I, I believe it's worrying. Because worrying draws us away. Pull up the bucket here with all our worries. Worrying draws us away. From God, right? If God is on one side and we're when we focus on this stuff, we're not being drawn towards God, right? We're seeking something else. In other words, let's put this a different way. When you seek God with your worries, turn your worries into worship. Maybe we can put it that way. Turn your worries into into worship. Let your worries, the things that jump up and you're like, I'm starting to have concerns. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm having anxiety. Maybe I'm getting really tight about this situation or it's just going over and over and over in the back of my brain. Or maybe you're like that father or that mother at the dinner table and you're just zoning out in those conversations because you're just jumping to that worst case scenario all the time. Worried that that could happen. And when you start feeling those type of things creep into your brain, creep into your thoughts, they're trying to steal you away from seeking God. So turn your worries into worship. Let's pretend this bucket is God. Everyone can see that, right? Pretty easy. All right. And this is you. The collective you with all of your worries. Worried about your kids. Worried about bills. Worried about things to come you don't know. And if we dwell here, 
do we have any part with God? We're in our own bucket, right? But if we take our worries and we turn them into worship and say, you know what, God, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. What does our bucket look like? It's empty. When we seek God, when we give our worries to Him, He takes them away. God is greater than our worries. And if we spend too much time in that worry bucket, we spend no time in the God bucket. Let's turn over to John chapter 4. And this is a long passage, so it won't be on screen except the, the passage we're going to be reading from. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. And this is kind of a, a famous passage, if you will. You know, it's when Jesus passes through this area called Samaria. We'll talk about that for a brief second. But when he's walking through, he bumps into this Samaritan woman. And if you don't know this, the Samaritans were the most despised, hated people by the Jews. When Jesus gives that parable, the good Samaritan is almost an oxymoron because they're like, wait a second, good and Samaritan? Those words don't go together. So the Jews really do not like the Samaritans. And this goes back because of a guy named Jacob and his son Joseph, way back in the Old Testament. And then Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And we have all these 12 tribes of Israel, and eventually Israel is divided into a northern kingdom, what we call Israel, and then a southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And then there's these guys called the Babylonians. And they come along somewhere in this, around 622 B.C. or whatever, and they enslave all of the Israelites. And they take them away into captivity. Finally, they release about 45,000 or something, and they, and they come back, and they're allowed to re- populate the area. But guess who's moved in in the meantime? The people who were left behind and kind of took over this area, worshipped other gods and kind of this little mishmash collective of people that we now call the Sumerians. And so when the Israelites come back to populate where they lived before, do you think the Sumerians are very happy about that? I wouldn't be. And so they hated them. Both sides were rah, 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 all the time. And so Jesus here in chapter 4, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord heard of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So when Jesus heard that they heard, he's like, you know what, let's move on. Verse 4, now we had to go through, here it is, Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or in other words, noon. So it's the middle of the day. It is hot. And if you've walked outside these doors, it is hot. So just imagine that noon, you're going to be thirsty. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, and right there, off the bat, this is a no-no. Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman, lowest of the low, directly. He said, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So 
then John reminds us here, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's like, for us, we don't get it. For them, it was a no-brainer. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And here's this verse here, 12. Are you, what? Are you greater than? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Because remember, they had that one mutual agreeing thing in both of these people's past. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband, and come back. And he asked this question intentionally, and we'll find out here in a second. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You know what? You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you've said is actually quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the, the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, Jesus Himself. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. This final verse, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. And for all we know, this is the first time Jesus told anyone that He was the Messiah to this lowly Samaritan woman at a well, divorced, maybe widowed multiple times, probably not a penny to her own name. That's why she's with all these, others, all these other guys. And he lets her in on this little secret that even the disciples aren't aware of at this point. All, he, all they know is like, hey, come follow me. Okay, rabbi, teacher, that's great. But for all we know, this is the first time where Jesus actually tells someone else, hey, lean in. That guy you're talking about, the Christ? I'm that guy. To this Samaritan woman. And ultimately... A lot of us cannot identify with her, right? We put up this front. Jesus says, go and get your husband. She's like, actually, I have no husband. Truth, yes. Jesus acknowledges that. But he's able to look deep inside her life. You know what? He said, no, you're right. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. So what you say is actually true. And Jesus' gaze penetrates her soul. Deep down past all the fluff and stuff. And he's able to look deep inside what is her and ultimately our biggest worry. 
Because I know we all wrote something down on that little piece of paper, right? You wrote something down that you're worried or you're concerned about. But I'm going to venture to say that's not your actual biggest worry. I don't believe it is. You wrote something down and that's great. You probably do worry about that thing. But that's not your ultimate worry in this life. I believe this passage can illustrate that for us. Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman. He looks into her soul. He sees her past. And He breezes right over what is her and our, today even, ultimate worry. I believe that your ultimate worry and mine today is that someone may actually see you for who you really are. I believe that's our biggest worry. If we sit down and we think about it, it's not necessarily the bills, it's not the finances, it's not the house or the car or the kids. Deep, 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 deep inside, I believe that our biggest worry is actually that someone may discover who we really are. And we keep that person bottled up just like that Samaritan woman. And we breeze around the truth. But the truth is, we are broken. We are hurt. We are abused or abusers. We are angry. We are addicted. We are prideful. We are selfish. Maybe you're a snob. Maybe you're a grouch. Maybe you're a gossip. Maybe you're alone. Maybe you're unfaithful. Maybe you're uncontrollable. Maybe you feel undeserving. Maybe you're unkind. Maybe someone will discover the hate that you try to bury deep down inside. Maybe someone will find out how evil you could be. The mean things you could say. The past that you try to hide. The addiction that you brush under the rug. Deep, deep, deep down inside, I think our biggest worry is that someone will actually see that person in all of its shame for what it really is and for who we really are. It's like if we're a house, and on the outside of the house, it could look great. Maybe it's well-kept, manicured lawn, paved stone driveway, but you start going into the house, and you're able to start noticing, hey, okay, this place isn't like the outside. Maybe it's not like just the, the soccer mom. Maybe it's not like the successful businessman suit you put on. Maybe it's not the entrepreneur or the, I'm a great, great A student. That wall that you put up. Or fun co-worker to hang out with on weekends. Past the clean or the messy state of the inside of that house. If you start going deeper and deeper, what do we ultimately discover? Oh yeah, there's, if I get down here, there's, there's dust underneath this cupboard, right? Or maybe if I open up the china cabinet, which let's be honest, china doesn't get used anyway, but maybe there's dust on that china in the china cabinet. And if we look hard enough and we go deep enough into each one of our own lives, there is that type of situation. That dirty, hidden, covered up person that we often like to hide. 
just like the Samaritan woman. And we ultimately ask Jesus, are you greater than that? Are you great enough to come into my life, my house, and really clean it all up? Because you don't know how bad I am. And this passage just reminds us that Jesus does know. And again, He looks deep into the soul of the Samaritan woman. He says, you know what? I get it. You're not lying to me. But you are covering up a deeper, darker worry that ultimately someone will find out about you and all these five husbands or not husbands that you've been with. And you're not proud of that. I get it. You're trying to cover that up. And so we can identify with the Samaritan woman because deep down I think that that is our ultimate worry, that someone else will come into the house of our life and start looking under the cupboards and the pantries. But Jesus already sees and knows that part of you. That biggest worry and all the other ones we put in this bucket, He already sees all that. Jesus already knows all of that. And just like the Samaritan woman, He can look straight into that deepest, darkest part of our lives that we try to hide from everyone else. And you know what? He still loves you in spite of it. He still loves you in spite of it. Now, does He want that to be in your life? No. Because again, just like the buckets, it's a separation from Him. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be with you all the time. Even when there's dust and garbage that we try to hide from other people in the world. He wants to fix that part of our lives. He wants to take away our biggest worry because He already sees it for what it is. But in order for Him to clean that out, we have to let Him. Samaritan woman's wall had to come down and she had to be like, you know what? You're right. And Jesus sees clear through to that ultimate worry we all share. That someone could really see us for who we really are. And He still, He still wants to be with us. Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago we talked about time. We had this rope going across this whole stage here and a little part taped off that represents our time on this earth. And it's hard for us to think about time and all that kind of stuff and, and get it in any type of context, but Jesus has seen all of that in your life. He knows your rope. And He still loves you and still wants to be with you. So much so that He died for us. That much He wants to be with you despite the worries, despite the part of us that we try to hide. So worrying is a choice, right? Worrying about stuff is the opposite of seeking God. We can't dwell in the bucket of worries and be with God. We need to turn our worries into worship. Take that bucket of worries. Turn them over into God's hands. Because ultimately, it matters whose hands it's in. This is our last point this morning. It depends... On whose hands it's in. Let me give you a few examples. A basketball in my hands. It's pretty useless. Right? 
pretty useless. I can make some shots. A basketball in LeBron James's hands, you know how much that's worth? That's 31 million. 31 million this year's salary. Baseball. Baseball in my hands. You can throw it a little bit. Baseball in Justin Verlander's hands from the Detroit Tigers. You know how much that's, that's worth? That's 28.6 million. A steering wheel in my hands, just a way to get around. I turn the car. Woo! Turn in the car. 10 and 2. Maybe 15 and 1. 15 and 10 and 2. Steering wheel in my hands. Steering wheel in Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s hands. Number 88. That's worth a lot more, right? 23.5 million. A simple steering wheel in a different person's hands is worth a lot more, right? What about a golf club? Anyone golf around here? A couple of people? I went golfing once to a driving range, and I used my steering wheel to get out of there. It didn't, didn't go down well. Golf club in my hands is utterly useless. Maybe zombie apocalypse weapon, but really utterly useless. Golf club in Phil Mickelson's hands. Masters, championship, green coach three times. It's worth a lot more in his hands, right? A slingshot in my hands. It's a kid's toy. Sling slot, slingshot in David's hands. It's an awesome weapon, isn't it? Giant slayer. A wooden rod, a stick, big walking stick in my hands is nothing more. I use it to walk. Maybe it's another zombie apocalypse type of weapon, you know? Maybe we'll go to the stick as a last resort. A wooden rod in Moses' hands can part seas. Fish and bread in my hands. I can make us probably like two and a half fish sandwiches. Maybe. Fish and bread in Jesus' hands feeds thousands. You see, our worries when they're in our hands equal frustration, equal sickness, they equal debt, pain, anxiety about possibilities. Our worries in our hands do us no good. Our worries in God's hands, what? Taken care of. When we put our worries in God's hands, He is able to prove to us that He is greater than. So there is something this morning that you walked in here worrying about. You wrote it down on a little piece of paper. Maybe it was the controversial discovery of another biggest ultimate worry, and now it's just going to give you something else to worry about when you go home from here. Oh, maybe that is my biggest worry. I'm going to worry about that being my biggest worry. Don't do that. That would defeat everything we talked about this morning. But maybe it's really thinking about that in a new perspective. Because we all have these. We all have these. Let's be honest. It's like the Samaritan woman... Not acknowledging that we have those does us no good. Jesus says, choose not to. Do not worry. When we have those little thoughts and stuff creeping in, turn our worries into worship. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then you know what? He says everything else is going to be added to you as well. But we only get to that point by turning in our worries, trading in our sorrows. Christian cliche song. Getting to the throne of Jesus. 
with humility and saying, you know what, I've got things I worry about. I'm going to ask you, let's, let's close our eyes together this morning.